Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. It's a great show today. It's V and I talking about using buyer intent signals for performance marketing. Talk about the opportunities, the advantages, the downfalls, the pitfalls. There's a lot to talk about here, and we're really excited that you joined us. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast, a place for business leaders to get the best and most credible information on marketing, strategy, and innovation. Your hosts, Mark Binkley and Vasily Sturos, share their experiences as they gather insights from the world's leading experts. Now, on with the show. V. No post-pod today. This is kind of the post-pod. <laughs> we get the day off. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about intent-based marketing. Uh, we've yeah. kind of been back and forth on this a lot uh, in various ways in the various podcasts that we've done. We talked a lot about branding. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we also talked about during there is this epiphany you've had around <laughs> some of the branding or an awakening, let's call it. An woke. awakening. Yeah. I'm so woke now. Watch out. Yeah. Around branding. But for a lot of the time that you and I work together, we spend a lot of time on intent. And so it's a really important yeah. part of marketing. So um, we're talking about that today because there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, and I'm actually happy we're taking the time to talk about this because it may f- seem or may feel like maybe um, maybe not collectively we're poo-pooing on this idea of like performance-based marketing is, you know, it's not just about that. Um, But I agree with you. I think there's a lot of tactics and strategies that have really come from the performance side that that are extremely valuable, even in the context of brands. So I think uh, intent-based is one of those where it can actually transcend a lot of the tactics that we deploy as marketers. Yeah. There was a study I I saw that they interviewed a whole bunch of B2B marketing leaders and about three quarters of them are using buyer intent to inform their sales and marketing strategy. And then a whole bunch more are thinking about using it, uh, even investing more in the in the coming future. So it, it's definitely, you know, when you're talking about having to deliver short-term results, yeah. this is where you go, right? 100%. 100%. I think it's, it's one of the unique, I guess, toolkits, if you will, that a marketer has at the end of the day that can kind of provide and showcase a lot of value in a short amount of time. Um, obviously it's how you package it and how you sell the story, I think is the bigger uh, nuance at times. Yeah. I think it's unfortunate that it's only kind of, uh, I think that the right way to put this is, is it's almost like it's only attributed from a performance marketing perspective, but personally yeah. I've even deployed it against larger, even brand campaigns. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, yeah. but it's, it's so versatile to kind of use this lens. I think it's important that you just kind of look at it as a marketing tactic versus it's just being siloed as a performance marketing tactic. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into this. Yeah. When we talk about intent-based marketing or performance marketing. Yeah. Uh, is another way to say it. How would you define intent-based marketing? Yeah. Like... In its simplest form, it's really kind of thinking about, you know, creating marketing campaigns or directing marketing campaigns for consumers whose online behavior shows purchase intent. And it's honestly looking at it just through that lens. And there's significant channels out there that you can look at that really kind of give you those primary signals um, that you can kind of use and model and et cetera. So it's identifying intent or sorry, looking at the digital footprint that consumers Mm -hmm. leave. that show purchase intent is the way yeah. I would define it. So I know one of the most common, like the, one of the simplest ways that I would think of doing it when you and yeah. I work together yeah. would have been like somebody comes to your product level page yeah. and doesn't, and add something to cart, but doesn't buy yeah. it. Right. So yeah. that would be an intent signal that you yeah. could use then to build out retargeting campaigns. Let's say. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. That's a, that's a great example. Um, we'll talk about channels a little bit earlier, but obviously the first one that always comes to mind is something like search. People are right. using keywords, right? And they're telling you exactly blue sweaters, Zappos, blue sweaters, whatever, like it doesn't matter, but showing that you're looking for a blue sweater yeah. uh, and that shows intent. And that's where, you know, a lot of organizations or that are selling blue sweaters can attack those, uh, those keyword strategies and try to make sure that they're driving, um, what's it called? Driving traffic to their product pages. Yeah. 
when I worked um, in broadcast media um, a while back, yeah. when I first started in sales and marketing, um, we used to have a message like the right message, the right people at the right time. And so yeah. intent mark is it is intent marketing kind of just is it the same as that in sentiment yeah. or is it, is it sort of a bit more nuanced? No, I, I would agree in a, in a, in a generalist, from a generalist perspective that it is quite, quite similar. No, we had a, a common uh, boss that would say, you know, the right message, the right time um, constantly. Right. And it's yeah. the only way you know that is, well, who's actually identifying intent. So that's where you target. Uh, but first, honestly, when you think about it in, if it's there, the advantages, it's really kind of enables you to just concentrate on the right prospects um, and engage them when they're probably most likely to want to make a purchase decision. And obviously every different product is going to be a little bit different and there are nuances, but it's really kind of looking at it through that lens. I also think it's important that, you know, intent marketing campaigns or strategies really empower organizations to maximize uh, their purchases by boosting higher conversions. Because at the end of the day, we really sometimes run into this age-old problem where budget is finite. Like we don't right. have these endless budgets. So it it really kind of gives you that opportunity, and especially the way that you're either data modeling, understanding like your purchase behaviors, uh, you have yeah. an opportunity to kind of really, really accelerate and look at, hey, where is that? Where's the highest conversion it's coming from or what data source they're coming from? So that's the real advantage of kind of using that intent lens um, across uh uh, your your campaigns, yeah, I yeah, interesting because I remember, I, um, you know, we used to, or at least I was making an argument at some point where you'd say like, if you could prove a ROAS of whatever, and that would yeah. ended up being profitable for your organization, why would you ever cap your budget? Yeah, right, because you're looking at yeah. intent, um, and then you would have. In theory, every dollar you're putting in is spinning out, let's say, four bucks back. And let's say your profitability is 50%. That means there's a dollar left over yep. that you just made from that. So in some sense, like I think there's it's kind of an interesting model. Like if you could figure out and you could deduplicate yeah. the Unless. attribution to the, each individual channel. Yeah. that's the Well, they don't part. make it easy for you to do that. No. <laughs> you know, and I'm going to say, I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I would say that even the idea that consumer intent or that lens is actually even more powerful than doing demographic targeting. Yeah. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's the signals that are, it's the behavior that you're actually, that, that these people or these consumers or these um, profiles are actually showcasing versus, you know, trying to look at a demographic where it could be, you could be, you know, I've looked through my Google profile and some of it's accurate, other other isn't. And mm -hmm. it's just just a bucket that they've put me in, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting to kind of think about intent more than just uh, a targeting strategy. It is it is likely more of a an enabler of of, of really powerful uh, outcomes from you know messages that you have in market. Hmm. Um, okay, so let's talk about. Um, some we've talked about a little bit of the advantages of, of intent marketing, but what yeah. what are the sources that you can get intent marketing or intent data from? We talked about your own website as an example, which would be considered oh, yeah. first party. Yeah. So yeah. So if you think about the intent sources, there it really comes down to I guess there's like seven you can really think about, right? You have your search engine, your search engines, and let's say Google for that case, your site data. Um, your off-site web activity. So this is everything that's happening away from. So that's where you're looking at your third-party data sources. Uh, point of sale. So if you have bricks and mortar, point of sale is another great uh, data source. Uh, then you also have things like your CRM, social data, social listening, um, and even um, you know content consumption, which is also usually syndicated externally. But it really comes down to the idea of your first-party data, right? Your which there's also like a deep behavioral data element there too, but there's third-party data as well. And I don't know if you've come across this as well, but this, there's this um, zero-party data that is becoming extremely more and more important now. And that's the idea that you're enabling your consumer and say, 
for lack of a better term. Um, and they're providing information about themselves to you. So think about like, um, you know, email data, right? So you're mm-hmm. setting up your preferences. Well, that's one part of it, but it also can be like how people are setting up their cookies now. That is zero party data because it's a user led data point that they, they that are being prompted to provide you with. And that's becoming increasingly important to use those um, those pillars as well to kind of, you know, model um, targeting strategies against. I'm not, uh, so I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that familiar with zero party data, actually. Yeah. So. It's been like the last four years. I think it's really started becoming a lot more prominent in a lot of strategies. Uh, I know uh, I, I personally used it, you know, working at my, my previous role in uh, in the airline industry uh, where we're trying to think about new ways to kind of elicit more of that prompted data points. Um, there's other struggles there. You need to have really strong MarTech <laughs> mm-hmm. um, enabled to, to do so. But I, you know, obviously if making a recommendation, like you start with like, honestly, your email data, uh, your CRM data is kind mm-hmm. of being that, uh, that starting point. Like how can you kind of give more, um, personalization, if you will, or how can you get more data points from your users um, at that point? But mm-hmm. um, there's a there's a one my first job ever was in pharma, um, and so there was this, I remember there was a we had a training session with our manager at one point, and hang on with me on the story because no no go <laughs> yeah I got you I'll connect it to what we're talking about here in a second but um we used to drop off samples at doctor's offices yeah so I was a guy carrying the bag and then in my bag was samples and I go up and see the doctor and go hey I'll take whatever and I drop message right time right place right person yeah. that kind of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. of you know hey there's this patient in your room that looks like they could qualify for this um you know, consider using that product for that person when they come in. Right. Sure. Let's, uh, you know, and, but you never really knew whether or not they were buying or writing the prescription. Right. But he would sign off on the, or she would sign off on the, on the script to give you so that they could, they could hand over the, the, uh, the samples. So anyway, you go in, you'd leave, let's say 10 boxes of samples, Right. come back two weeks, three weeks later, samples are gone. The manager at the time is like, so what does that mean? And then all of us are like, well, because, you know, they used it for that patient or they did this or they did that. Yeah. And I remember this one guy goes, it means they're gone. And he's like, <laughs> right. <laughs> you don't know what it, what it means. It just means they're gone. They're not there. They're not there. And so I think uh, I think about that a lot when it comes to data, digital data, because yeah. you can interpret it. A lot of different ways. This is true. But sometimes activity doesn't necessarily mean intent or interest. And so I guess my question would be uh, for you. This is a great point. Um, is, is there a way to separate just digital activity from actual buying signals? Uh, well, it comes down... <laughs> Well, Sorry, a little light. This is a little softball for you. That's a great softball there, man. I think I'm going to swing and miss this one. But no, I think, I, well, first of all, you kind of think about it and saying like, well, how do you analyze the user behavior first, right? right? So that when you're looking at, say, an activity on your web app or, sorry, on a website or your your app, you can then identify patterns of of in, indi- that indicate likely, you know, intent to purchase. Right. So for example, I think you used the example earlier, but Someone visits a product page, adds their product to cart, and starts a checkout process. I would argue that is a pretty strong signal of intent that they're looking to make a purchase. Right. right. Now, you can also use that lens and understand like what does that buying journey look like? And you, you know, there's a lot of tools out there that you can do that. You can lean on Google. You can, you know, Adobe has their own version of of that as well. But then it's also taking and looking at it through, a, you know, almost like a advanced analytics. Uh, perspective as well, because those can help you differentiate between passive digital activity and active buying signals. Mm -hmm. So for example, when you're thinking about uh, machine learning algorithms, 
to identify patterns in user behavior that indicate buying intent. So, you know, when, you know, the Googles are telling, you know, just let the algorithm do a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, technically, those algorithms are able to kind of depict between some of those, some of that activity. So what they're identifying as passive versus what they're actively right. looking at as buying signals. And then finally, it's, you know, it's kind of rudimentary, but it's honestly like, look at conversion rates. Yeah, because like by analyzing your conversion rates, I think you get a really high indication of what is now a digital activity that's leading to sales Mm -hmm. versus, say, something that's just, you know, passively coming across the website looking for information. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you're talking about intent uh, and using the algorithms. So uh, I did a project not long ago, but on um, HubSpot looking at essentially buying intent or what we interpret to be buying intent in terms of scoring a lead. Mm -hmm. So interestingly, like you can set up HubSpot and and other tools like that and and assign scores for different things. Like I'm going to give somebody points for having visited our website, points for downloading a document, points for watching a video, points for staying on the page X length of time, points for opening emails, all these things. So you can give points and then you can assign a score so then in a way it's and then negative points for not having done things. So yeah. once somebody's score hits a threshold, they can become an intent lead or yeah. an MQL. Mm-hmm. And then that is an indicator for you to do some other activity and follow up. So so there's that. And so yeah. you know, you create this scoring system, let's say it's I don't know, 100, 200, whatever the score is. So then that becomes part of your pipeline. Yeah, we did a comparison of that versus um, HubSpot's uh, AI-based intent scoring thing, yeah. and it scored everybody like what we would have scored, say a hundred. They scored a one or a negative one. There was no, almost no variability there. Oh wow, <laughs> okay. And they weren't counting things like all, all the things that we were counting. Yeah, what they were trying to figure out is. Did somebody buy or not? Buy, sir. Yeah. And so you, in a B2B sense, it's harder probably unless it's like um, – and it's funny because B2B isn't actually B2B. Like it's so much – you know, and I mean that as a, like a general sense. Like if yeah. you you could be B2B, but let's say like we use Riverside to record. Yeah. Riverside is a B2B tool. It doesn't – or a B2C tool. It doesn't necessarily need to be only business to business. So you can buy mm-hmm. online. You can have an online conversion. What I meant by B2B is you can't buy online. Let's say you have to buy through a complex, it's a complex sale, let's say, and there's yeah. not an online uh, purchasing experience. Yeah. So that's what I mean by B2B. So if a sale event happens offline, they're rewarding that kind of information, not right. just the digital activity. Yeah. I would even argue like defining what intent is for your organization is also important too. Because totally. it could be a purchase or it could just be information. Like how many people visited the the product information on, say, on a, on new technology? You know, that's, that is also intent. So I think you have to think about it in the context of how, as an organization, am I served using this lens? And then against what properties um, do I believe, I believe are high intent signals? And it sometimes not a purchase. Purchase is like the last part of it. Hopefully right. everything that you're doing, you've identified, say, the right content pages or the right, you know, avenues of, of informing individuals that all together is intent that may lead to a purchase. Yeah. Let's talk you about. Know, sorry, ahead. one last thing that it just actually just popped to mind. And I know Andrea would be super proud of, my, of me for saying this right now. You can also and I, we don't do this enough, but we can also do and simply ask for feedback through surveys. True. Like we, we don't do that often enough. Um, but there is, you're starting to see a lot more of this, uh, you know, either how did we do you yeah. know, surveys that pop up? Sometimes it's like when you're leaving a page, a survey pops up. So I think that's important to also showcase in a way to kind of show intent. Cause you can be very, very specific. Did you find the information that you're looking for? Mm-hmm. Is it aiding you in the, in the process of making a decision on a purchase? Like you can be very perspective, very prescriptive, at what point of the of the decision journey where you kind of showcase, but surveying is also a great, uh, great kind of a way to to look at some of the intense signals. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. The, 
interesting because you can you can almost define where somebody is in a buying journey by setting yeah. up like you'd have to create the experience, but you could set up a survey type of experience to help guide people through some kind of a purchase. Hundred percent. Like I, when I think about it, you know, for me, when I think about a buying journey. Um, in the context of an airline, it's it's very simple, right? You start with your search, your origin and destination. Um, then you kind of, you, you prompt them with all the different options that they have. Once they select, oh, I want to leave at 8 a.m. and I want to come back three days later at 5 p.m. Then all of a sudden you start adding more of the add-ons, you know? Right. Um, are you looking to pre pre-purchase your seat? Are you looking to buy Wi-Fi? Are you, you know, all these little things. That buying journey is so concise. You can pick different moments in time to kind of prompt for uh, either questions or kind of mm -hmm. get an understanding. It's like, hey, where are people dropping off in this buying journey? Mm -hmm. Is it right when I'm asking them about all the ancillary products? Mm -hmm. Is it the ancillary products in the right place? Maybe, maybe not. Like, anyways, mm -hmm. I think understanding and looking at your buying journey are, is also a great way to really kind of think about intent and then how they got to that, uh, that point as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and things like upsell, cross-sell, it just made me think about all of it. Yeah. Like the insurance part, um, renting a car, you need a room, yeah. you know, all those kinds of things. Do you want, yeah. um, I think I've seen Airbnb maybe even do this where there's like experiences you can add on to your stay and Airbnb is a great example of a very, of a, a simplified buying journey, but has a lot of different touch points, but they do it in a way that's just so seamless. I think mm -hmm. it's a fantastic uh, example. Because hmm. you can actually search by experience and then build an itinerary. Around that experience. Around that experience. Right. Like it's very, very, it's not linear. The, the Right. Which I think is incredible. Yeah, because it's almost starting with the idea of a bucket list. And then yeah. building your trip around the bucket list as opposed to starting with a location and then yeah. just trying to provide accommodation for the location. Well, think about it. Think about like, let's use an example, say the two of us, we want to go ride our bikes in Italy, for example, right? So we could find that in, on Airbnb, Airbnb, that experience yeah. of a bike tour in Italy. Yeah. And then it's like, are you looking for accommodation? Yes in and around the area here, it's already pre-populated like spaces in around where say that is happening. Right. So it's a, it's almost like a reverse search in, in, yeah. in a sense, but think about that intense signal that's coming in behind of that. Yeah. It's literally another data point that they can use. And now it's experiences, right? Yeah. It's pretty, it's incredibly powerful. It's a, that's a really interesting point because you, you know, you kind of get focused on, especially in a scenario where let's say you have a hotel room, you get very focused yeah. on the thing that you have to sell. Yes. Right. Like the widget, the, whatever, Rooms. the room, yeah. the, the airline seat, whatever. Yeah. And then, but that's not necessarily what people want to buy. Or what they're you know, motivated like, to do that. Yeah. Right. So that's where I think I imagine a lot of intent data can get muddy. Because if you're just looking at the thing that you're trying to sell as opposed to what they're trying to buy, yeah, maybe it opens up a lot more opportunity. It might get a little bit more complicated. Yeah. But, um, but there's more opportunity to use different forms of data to there build is. out a profile for a And so I think that kind of goes back to, you know, to Andrew's point from way back when. Yeah. Really understanding a customer. Because, you know, the old saying about 100%. they're not looking for a quarter inch bit, they're looking for a quarter inch hole. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like that idea, right? Where you, you, if you understand what the customer is trying to get to, then you can use different kinds of intent data to understand that process that they're, of what they're trying to achieve. I, I love what you just said, because it, it just prompted something else in, in my, in my mind around your organization's roles in the total buying journey, right? So I'm going to pick on airline again. Yeah. Airlines are simply a carrier, right? To experiences, to destinations, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the travel experience or the travel buying journey is a lot larger. People are getting 
prompted to go to destinations outside of visiting an airline. Usually the last thing that they're going to do is think about an airline and how they're going to get there. So now it's saying, okay, as an airline, what is my role in the buying journey of to a destination? It's actually now the almost like the last quarter of the process, which is like making it easy for them to find a seat, their origin destination, give it to them at the best price possible, et cetera. All too often though, a lot of organizations think that they have a bigger part in that process or they try to expand more and more of their footprint. So again, when I think about my airline experience, we tried to create landing pages that were selling on the idea of destinations. And we'd have partners come in to kind of help bolster content, et cetera. The reality is we never got a lot of traffic to that because no one really thought about an airline website as a, as a, like a travel uh, yeah, exactly. guide. So to speak. The travel guide. It's not, it's not, it's an unnatural behavior that we we're trying to force until we started thinking about, well, where are they finding? Where are they showing that intent? And that intent, that's when we started parting, you know, um, partnering with channels like Pinterest, mm-hmm. where people were going for inspiration and then mm-hmm. bringing the airline a little bit up closer to that buying journey. So it's, you can't just manufacture this sometimes. You have to go where the intent is. So Pinterest, for example, was a great channel for us to really find a lot of that. But even though if it was maybe 30 or 60 or 90 days before they would even think about a purchase, you're building that mental availability earlier in the buying journey. Okay, so this is interesting because this is where I think <laughs> performance, like true performance marketing, like retargeting website visitor and you know optimizing yeah. for a conversion meets branding because now yes. you're talking about something a little bit further out in their journey, but mm-hmm. still like within a 30, 60, 90 day period probably yep. right, where you're you're doing that off channel, like let's just keep using the airline industry. Yeah. You're doing that off. You're doing this research on the destination, not on how you're going to get there. No. So, you, but you're using intent on the destination, yeah. which is a phase of their process. Yep. Early in, like as they're doing the building of their totally. plans and stuff, early yep. in their vacation planning. Yeah. You're kind of inserting your brand there yeah. to be more recognizable, more remembered, that kind of thing. Exactly. So it's intent, but it's not on your site. It's on someone else's site, but it's still yeah. part of the near term future plans that that person has. This is, this is for me why I've, I've become like, there's this awakening. It's, this is not a performance marketing tactic. This is a tactic that can be used for marketing in general. And it's just rethinking. And again, if we think about what Andrea was telling us, it's putting the consumer at the center of how you kind of think and strategize around that. I can't be everything to everybody as an airline industry. I have to accept that. It doesn't matter how many pages I look to create to kind of create a similar experience. People have their own behaviors that they go in, they show intent. Use those signals and build content strategies around that. And that's a big, that's a big caveat to all this and is the content that you're actually putting in those moments are crucial. Yeah. Um, so if you're not doing your research the right way, you're not understanding, say, the Pinterest and how people are actually engaging with content on Pinterest. Like we did a whole bunch of like those fun polls, this or that, like engaging content that I just couldn't repurpose a 300 by 600 and just slap it on there and say, hey, my job here is done. You know, we worked closely at the time with the Pinterest team to make sure that we're creating engaging content that was natural. Sorry, it was listening natural behavior from the user that were engaging with it. Yeah. So you you talked a little bit before about search as an intentional. And yeah. Maybe let's just kind of talk about Pinterest then as an intentional too, and maybe get into the 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 channels because you know context is means a lot. Um, yeah, you know, and, and, you know, previously when you and I were building campaigns, we would work together on campaigns and you would run things on say search or display ads. And I had Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Pinterest to some degree, things like that. So even though we're running the same campaign, the 
content yeah. had to be developed for the context or the channel that it was going yeah. on. Yeah. And so each channel in some way, it's not always so clear cut, but there's different channels that have different kinds of intent. So in this case with Pinterest, let's keep using that because I think it's a good story. Yeah. Um, people aren't necessarily searching for, the, you know, I need to buy a flight today, but they are looking for that inspiration. So it's a little bit further out in the, yeah. in, the in the near term buyer journey. Yeah. How do you think about channels in general in terms of intent? Well, there's there's some channels that just naturally pop out as being like the ones that are like the winners. We talk about search engines. I would even argue social media is another great one. Email marketing, those channels in of themselves naturally are able to curate intent and better. We're talking about Pinterest. I would say that Pinterest is a very unique channel because it does two things. It uses image. And then it uses intent at the same time, like the search, a typical search function, right? Right. So you're being prompted and inspired by some amazing imagery to help make a decision or create your own pin board or whatever, whatever it is. And it's the marrying of those two things, which Google doesn't do in the same way, right? Google is just an extremely powerful search engine marketing tool where you're just mm -hmm. writing your long tail keyword or short tail, whatever it is mm -hmm. going but you're not you're not being prompted with images. Yes, there's that selection for images if you're looking for images specifically. But the the root of it is just like just a list of links, and I'm going to mm -hmm. go to a web page. Pinterest though is prompting you with imagery, and mm -hmm. we know from uh, from uh, from a lot of the the data and research around how people are uh, likely more inclined to click on imagery than text because it mm -hmm. just it stimulates us a lot differently. So they have a unique opportunity because then you're looking at the the intent of Honolulu, that's mm -hmm. the search query, but now you're being inspired by all this amazing imagery um, around Honolulu or things that you can do in Honolulu. Then it's like, it's the images, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where for me, um, Pinterest doesn't get enough, uh, enough looks uh, from a lot of different organizations because we think that it's just an area where whatever they do, they just do in that, in that channel. And then it doesn't, doesn't translate to um, a typical, I don't want to say a typical buying journey because actually there's a lot of applications for it, but um, people have a hard time because there's not a lot of users, mm -hmm. maybe in our generation that use Pinterest that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fair. Um, yeah. So is there, like in Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. Oh, LinkedIn's another great example. Yeah. You're right. Um, but a lot of those are feed based. I, I agree. I think Pinterest is interesting in terms of a channel. Search is straightforward. And it, well, actually, that's not, that's not true. It's not straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> but it's text based search primarily. Yeah. Voice becoming more and more. But uh, more and more of a thing, but there's also zero click searches. So you're avoiding actually having a click through on things. And, yeah. um, but a lot of those other ones are, are feed based. And so it's almost like a push versus a pull channel where I, what I mean by mm -hmm. interest being interesting, and you touched on this too, is that it's both. It's, it's both. a push and a pull at the same time, yeah. which is a really unique opportunity. I don't know of another channel that does it that way. At least not one that comes to mind. Yeah, uh, maybe YouTube kind of. Uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, though. There are limitations, though. Like when you think about using intent as a um, as a strategy, right? Yeah. You, you talked about the idea like, you know, people are visiting websites sometimes when they're not actually have zero intent. It's just something piqued their interest. They're like, well, I'm just going to have a have a peruse and they may, and let's not forget a lot of people use <laughs> their add to cart function as just like a, a list of like things like, Hey, yeah, maybe it's not, it may be in that moment. It's like a nice to have, I'm just going to do it. So I, I, I'm saving it for later instead of actually using the save for later function on websites, right. they just add it to cart. Um, bots and fraud and ad fraud. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
it's still a thing. Yeah. It hasn't gone away. It's getting yeah. even more convoluted if I'm being honest, but yeah. Well, it, it, yeah. And to that point, like I know my, I get so much spam emails and phone calls because I'm it's ridiculous doing research on things that I have no yeah. in, interest in or in real legitimate intent in buying so a lot yeah. of these reports that I'm trying to find on B2B, whatever. Yeah. And but the person on the other end doesn't know that. And so like I literally yesterday got three phone calls and that was a light day for me and yeah. because they're forcing me to put my phone number in. But all I want is the report. Like I don't need a phone call. I really don't. I don't want it. And I'm blocking them all now and I'm yeah. marking them as spam and and yeah. all that kind of stuff, which is probably bad on their end. But they're interpreting my interest in the report as intent, as intent. purchase. Yeah. And so then their SDRs and their sales team are just all over me, but that's not at all my intent. It's it's one of those things like the report was there and now it's gone. And they're interpreting that as I want to buy. I just want the report. Yeah. And they're you know, a lot of organizations use things like that as a as a leads tactic, right? It's like, okay, so you showed interest in the report. You must be interested in what we're selling. Right. But it's like, no, I just want to know how you guys got there. That's all. Yeah. I'm interested in. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the other challenges with intent. So that would Mm -hmm. be one that we talked about. um, Misinterpreting signals. um, Yeah. You know, talked about bots and ad fraud. Yeah. Data accuracy, I know, has its limitations in terms of like on Zoom Info, you can download, pick any list you want. Or G2 does this too. Yeah. Uh, You can pick any create a criteria you can download that information um get the companies that are actively buy they use their own intent engines to say these people are active buyers or these people are you know high intent purchasers or they're at this stage in the funnel various things like that and so you download that information and download that data and maybe 60 percent of it is accurate in terms of like an email that's legitimate yeah. Um, and so there's always a, like that kind of thing. That's not even interpreting their intent correctly. It's interpreting their contact information correctly. So there's totally there's some challenges totally. there where, you know, in some ways that it, it's not as like precise as we'd like it to believe, like it to isn't. believe it is. No, it isn't. You're right. You're hundred percent right on that. And that's where, again, you know, yeah, we briefly touched on the accuracy of data and the limitation on that. I think it's like six to eighty percent. Like, it's not. You can't use it so. Uh, I don't want to say so uh, not primitively, but you can't just lean on that alone, right? Yeah. And that's where it comes back to the idea. It's like, hey, anything you can do to augment a lot of your data sets with more information or more data, surveys, etc. That's when you can start building out a stronger picture of like what actual intent looks like from where. Yeah. Um, and just not, don't just look at one data source as being the source of truth you, because that's when you run into problems. Yeah. So let's talk about, I mean, you mentioned um, offline sources, uh, POS. Can, I don't know if you can talk about that or like to chat about that. I'm just curious about. Yeah. About. An example. Yeah, I, I've got one too, but I, I yeah. just kind of want to hear because you've had different experiences than I've had. Yeah, it's it's one, you know, it's interesting and it's not, um, well, actually there's some POSs now. So uh, I think I was at the, was it the keg? I want to say five weeks ago mm-hmm. and right after you're paying for it on the POS, on the actual terminal, they have like a rate us. So they have, um, how did we do today and whatnot? Now you can obviously think about that. Now that, that is now almost like the last touch point that they have with me as a consumer. Now I'm paying, I'm ready to walk out that door. So it's almost the last opportunity that they have to capture any sort of data information on Mm -hmm. how the experience was, things that they could do better. Obviously it's very number based. So you're, you're selecting from like a, a drop-down uh, menu, but that, that that is an example of kind of thinking about now another data layer in mm-hmm. the point of um, uh, in the context of uh, you know point of sale. 
Now, when you think in a traditional point of sale, though, uh, let's think about, let's use our shared example of, uh, you know, in the sports retailer world, the, the POS can serve as another data point, even though it is now after purchase. Mm-hmm. It's essentially information that can augment and tie back to, say, you have online behavior, like this consumer potentially did this, this, and this because they had a signed in state. You know, uh, Viduro's at amazing.com is signed in at, you know, sportjack.ca. Now we just also sent an email of the invoice to that account, right? So anything that I'm asking, even in that, can kind of go back and say, well, here's what we've identified as intent in these areas. And this happened mm-hmm. 90 days ago or 120 days ago. You're able to start closing the loop a little bit. Again, the problem with that is it requires a signed in state. Whereas it, I'm not signing in. I Honestly, if I'm purchasing something, it's only to the point where now I'm purchasing, I may sign in, but I'm not browsing from a signed in state usually. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that's another thing to kind of consider is it is that's an, another limitation of really closing the loop. But just to close on the POS, POS is a way to cr- close the the whole experience and understanding an intense signal that may have happened earlier. What actually happened mm-hmm. uh, at the end of it? So it's, it's another reason why we kind of bring it up as a as mm-hmm. a source or a data source. Yeah. What example did you have? Uh so one of the projects that I was involved in was um, the online to offline project that when Google or sorry, Facebook right. was rolling that out. So yeah. um, you take, you link up Facebook. I mean, there's a whole bunch of really smart technical people that did, oh, yeah. <laughs> did all this part, but <laughs> you take all the, you take um, purchase data mm-hmm. from every individual. You put that into your data lake. Then you take your Facebook data and the exposure. You have to do a matching thing. You put mm-hmm. that in your data. Like then you match your purchase data with the encrypted um, information from the Facebook data. Right. And you get a matching rate. And then you can show your online exposure to ads to the offline purchase history. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. So yep. it's online to offline. I think was the. Well, it was the project title. I don't know what the tool is actually called now, but I wonder if it still exists that way. Hmm. Yeah. But, and it was something like, you know, of all the people going through the cash register, something like three out of 10 people were willing to share their data with Facebook for that purpose. So it's, it's a small subset of actual number of people that were, were sharing that information. But anyway, it's, it's a subset. Yep. So, um, so to me, that's like an example of online to offline data where my head is going with this and how it can combine with some of the things we've talked about with, say, Jenny or um, mm-hmm. um, Nicole, talking about the heavy versus light buyers. Yeah. So if you get that information over time, you accumulate data and then you've got a, a database now of kind of heavy versus light buyers. Right. Because you can see people who are buying infrequently and people who are buying frequently. So in all probability, heavy buyers will remain heavy for a period of time, not forever, but for a period of time. So that intent that you could create by just the frequency of purchase, whether it's a particular category of product or like in the case of retail, like we had all different kinds of sports. So maybe it's just hockey buyers, or maybe it's just like frequent purchasers at your store versus light purchasers. It could be that you could build out intent programs for both of those two different kinds of profiles people completely agree but but here like the you can you can kind of almost um parse it in so many different ways the biggest juggernaut to execution becomes content and your ability to scale that content based on intent because like i said earlier you can define intent many different ways but know that that's creating now a downstream effect on your content team so everyone's sure there's different ideas of what, what intent is. So we, we use an example for there's intent in a specific destination. Well, we talked about Pinterest and the content demands that they require as a channel. It's not a resizing of say of a campaign into and trying to force it into the, into the medium. So that's where it becomes, 
you know, the, I, I would say almost like a marketer's Achilles heel comes down to the amount of content that they can create for any given campaign. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and the kind of content talking about the context as well, the content that yeah. you're building is different. So it might be that the people who are the light buyers, it's more about their needs as opposed to the product or the discount or something like that. Exactly. They're, you know, if they're buying infrequently, you just need to remind them of, you know, we're here for the needs that you have in the future. Whereas the yep. people who are heavy buyers, it might be that, Hey, you know, you bought like Bauer skates. Did you know that we also have warrior hockey sticks or exactly. something like that? Right. So, yep. Yeah, it's interesting because you can, inter well, even in that case, you can interpret intent based on the category. So if, if you play hockey, let's say, um, you, you know, sticks is a thing you break, not irregularly. Uh, yeah. God, they're like two, three hundred bucks now. So they're insane. That's expensive. <laughs> it's an expensive uh, sport. Yeah. But, but you can interpret like intent because of the particular category of buyer. Yeah. Right, because if they're in, say, hockey, and they break things at a at a regular frequency, say, like a hockey stick, then you could use a, a category of you know, purchase intent category based on a category. Yeah. You can create purchase intent based on a category of which they are. Yeah, no, I, and that's where it becomes again dangerous because how can you build all the different permutations of of intent and having the right, right the right, you know, uh, content for each instance. Cause right. again, it's, uh, if you think about like a, 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 let's, let's use uh, a retail background again, there's so many different products that you're offering. All of them have different ideas of intent. Yeah. Like nothing's, I won't say there's nothing the same, but there's very different. Like every product has yeah. its own idea. And I think that's where you need to make sure you have like, yeah. you're either isolating, hey, where's the, you know, if you apply like the 80-20, where's the 20% of the products that potentially are providing, you know, that 80% of revenue. And that's where we're kind of going to make sure that we're focusing on building out great experiences uh, versus like, hey, let's just do it across everything. Because yeah. there's absolutely no way you will kill your marketing team. Yeah. If you try to do that, there's absolutely no way they can manage that kind of scale. Yeah. And an extreme end, let's say you get into grocery. Like, oh my I God. think they might have like 60,000 SKUs. It's, you know, it, it's in that, it's in that rate, like tens of thousands of SKUs for sure, depending on the size of the store. But yeah, I mean, there's no way you can meaningfully build and you don't need to probably. And you don't need I to. Think, I think that's part of the thing when I, I, I balk at, uh, is that even a word? Yeah. Balk. Fuck, whatever. I get I get, frustrated with the idea. I get frustrated with the idea of um, mass customization or mass personalization because it's not with you. about the like individual one person and one product. It's more about like a need to my mind is the personalization. If you understand the needs of a group of people, that's more productive for personalization than a particular product to a particular person. I am I am so with you on that, and I've been guilty of this of like of kind of really thinking about how do you kind of cater and create those personalized experiences. Um, I would argue now it's less about the personalization of those experiences; it's more of the acknowledgement that, for example, there is a consumer that's thinking about a product or service in your thing, and you can do different things like surprise and delight. You know. Mm -hmm when I was working for, you know, the sporting life group there and, and golf town, we actually added a, I don't remember how many orders we did, but it was like a, a little letter and we had a little, I think we, we offered some teas and something else, just that was really no cost to us, maybe a little mm -hmm. bit more incrementally those that were packaging the items, mm -hmm. but it was just a surprise and delight. Like, Hey, thank you. That for me, it's people would, would call that that's personalized, mm -hmm. but we didn't, we didn't personalize the letter. Like it was mm -hmm. just a generic letter. It's like, Hey, we thank you for your purchase. This is a little something to help get you kicked off in the, you know, in the year that's more powerful than just making sure that you have a name on an email or mm -hmm. um, really trying to create that personalized digital experience. Like mm -hmm. it's less about that and don't mm -hmm. waste your time. Yeah. My yeah, we, 
we I remember there was a project I did at Czech where there was like, okay, there's hockey buyers again. Yeah. There's people who bought one of 17 brands. We created this mass customization. To your point, it was a beast to push the creative through and get the creative team to build this. Running campaigns for this particular buyer, Bauer, hockey, uh, Bauer yeah. CCM, Tax, uh, whatever, <clears throat> all the different brands that are out there. Versus then we compared it to this one, which was just targeting hockey buyers with like mm-hmm. a generic message. Like here's one image with like five different kinds of stick, skates, <laughs> pants, a little carousel, pads, there you go. shoulder pads. Uh, and the individual one-to-one-one-one thing was, didn't perform as well yeah. in terms of like your conversion rates, your, your cost per click. Cause you're get you're taking a lot of data trying to guess. Um, yeah. And, and so, and, and, you know, I think in retrospect now, the knowing that, you know, people are polygamously loyal to brands, it's probably not that productive because they're not buying exclusively top to bottom one particular brand. You go to the gym and like people are wearing Adidas shoes, Nike shorts, and like a Lululemon top. It happens all the time. Totally. Totally. Um, and when you think like, I love that example, the, what was it? What did we call it? The hockey? Oh my gosh. I remember because like, you know, the e-com team on the other side trying to build that page. And I think some yeah. of it was, was external too, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. but just trying to build that functionality into that was just, it was so messy. And yeah. if you remember even at that time, some of our big campaigns, we were creating almost almost 300 different variations of the same content. Yeah. Like just take a moment to think about that. How, how scalable is that actually for a lot of these organizations that, you know, and I would say like at that time, fairly deep pockets for an organization, big, uh, big production teams, content creation teams. There's not a lot of organizations can, that can really um, meet that scale. Mm-hmm. So that's where, again, like intent can become extremely powerful, mm-hmm. but just make sure you're looking at the content that it best serves your organization. Mm-hmm. There's another one that we had. Um, I think this is just after you left, but there was an email campaign. So you know this all too well because you ran the email, but you would, we would have categories of buyers, golf, yep. hockey, athletic, or leisure, athleisure. Athleisure. Oh. Uh, running, skiing, whatever. Yeah. And originally they were built on, had they bought, had they bought, period. Yeah. But didn't look at the time and the recency. And so then there was another project where we were trying to like create a different model to compare mm. had they bought at any point in time. So if you had bought one point in the history because it was like a gift for your father on Father's mm-hmm. Day, like you wanted a driver versus anyone who bought recently and did they buy frequently within that category and then what was the monetary value yeah so the rfm model versus just how they bought and then and so the intent the performance you got out of the rfm model was way better than the intent you got out of or the the performance you got out of had they bought ever right but it was but they're but it isn't now i would say one is not necessarily better than the other they're just no one's better for like getting people to buy today and showing higher ROAS. Exactly. But to your point about the Pinterest story, like you still want to reach those other people and you can still use that historical data to build out a campaign and say, Hey, you know, maybe it's father's day again and you can build a campaign around that. And that's part of your, your custom audience. And this is for me where like the whole awakening, if you will, has come into play is thinking about, brand a different way right you know we, we talked about Mar- we, we've talked to mary almost every guest that we've kind of come on we were talking about brand in some capacity uh but it, at the end of the day it's about building mental availability and the only way you grow your pie is thinking at those larger campaigns or the higher reach campaigns but you can do high reach with the lens of intent mm-hmm you know, and I think all too often we, we think about, you know, brand marketing is like, just get it out there, mm-hmm. right? 
But again, we have finite budgets. We're like we, we live in a time where things are not as simple to getting budget for a lot of our activities. Mm-hmm. So you can still apply your lens of intent to those higher reach brand campaigns. Mm-hmm. I would still rather put the information in front of people that are still likely to want to engage with me anyways, to give me the best chance of showing a return on the other side. Mm-hmm. So totally. intent is very versatile. Totally. V, what did we yeah. learn today? What did we learn? <laughs> this is good. You know, at the end of the day, it's my, my big thing is, and it stops splitting performance marketing, marketing, like it's marketing. It's one mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Lean on your, your performance marketers and pass them with some of these things that are likely bigger. You know, mm-hmm. lo- most performance marketers today have an idea about intent, understand intent, um, or they should be, uh, if I'm being honest, but, um, and asking them and task them to kind of use that same properties against things that are more traditionally outside of their scope. Don't just mm-hmm. let them do the the performance marketing or what what is the industry's dubbed like a specific set of capabilities. Mm-hmm. I think you can get a lot of, um, a lot of value by looking at something like intent for, for different programs and sure. that includes your brand campaigns. Like there, totally. there is, there is a purpose there that they can apply. So I think that for me is a, a big takeaway. Um, the landscape is also changing. It's evolving. You know, we talked about, uh, we briefly touched on like ad blocking, cookies, less experiences, data is going to become essentially harder to come by. So you have to think about how you're going to augment and think and think of those different data options that you want to build in to build those pools of intent, right? Mm-hmm. And then finally, is also thinking about, you know, the MarTech that's going to help you enable that the best of your ability, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you need to spend time. You may have to bring in people externally to kind of help advise against that, but have a very concrete idea of what it is that you're trying to achieve mm-hmm. and then do an assessment on what's your best ability to achieve that, uh, that outcome. Mm-hmm. at least that those are my yeah no those are great um it's funny because when we first started talking i was like oh intent is simple <laughs> and then as we're getting into like, the execution i'm like wait no it's not simple um it isn't. Yeah. and i agree with a lot of all the points that you had um you know there's there's i think there's kind of like that pharmaceutical story i had about you know the samples yeah. are gone i think there's a a, a risk in assuming that everything that happens, that's that, that everything you can see is real mm-hmm. and is the only thing that's happening. And so yeah. I think there's, you know, to the point of it's not an either or it's both. It's you know, both. you do intent marketing, but you also got to do brand marketing. Yes. Because, and it's like, it could be as simple as optimize for ROAS with half your budget, optimize for reach with the other half or, yeah. you know, some variant thereof. Yeah, yeah. Because there's, I know there's, there's, um, you can, in B2B, let's say, um, Mm -hmm. it might be easier to see this, but there's a really high probability that if you have a pipeline of prospects and you're recording activity of those prospects, that if they're coming from a source that's not your website, they may Mm -hmm. have never visited your website. Exactly. So it's, possible that you're missing out on a lot if you're just focused on the intent that you can see so i think it's to me the opportunity is is to use to your point is using intent and 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 training people who are performance marketers to think like brand marketers and vice versa so that you're not missing on opportunity just because you can't see it in your own digital data Uh, I, i i agree 100%. And you look like you're excited. (laughs) I am excited. I am excited because think about the one thing we haven't even talked about is SEO, right? Mm. And the the role SEO can have an intent. And SEO is probably the last thing organizations are thinking about, unfortunately, because it's not enough money. Do we get a headcount? Do we outsource? Whatever. But think about like if intent is coming through, say, things like search engine marketing, Pinterest, some of these others pages. Well, if we use Google as an example, the best way to rank for some of the stuff is organically. People are picking mm-hmm. up. They know what's an ad and what's not an ad. So let's not, mm-hmm. let's call a spade a spade here. And there are also recognized what is organic listings. 
So if there's an area of intent that you've identified that is important for your organization, you better be spending time on the SEO side and making sure that you're ranking as high as possible for some of those product pages, uh, content, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, it's such an important part of it. Such mm-hmm. an important part. And again, it's probably the last thing organizations are thinking about, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good conversation, V. I actually it's thought awesome. we weren't going to make an hour, but I know. here we are. <laughs> I feel like we go for another hour. <laughs> I, yeah, there's there's so many. This was a great conversation. It's, I'm happy we actually got around to to doing this, and I hope uh, listeners find this valuable information as they're you know challenging their marketing teams, or if you're a practitioner yourself, challenging the business to you know make you a part of some of these different conversations where you can continuously add value. Yeah, totally. And if anybody, uh, if you're listening and you have any questions that you'd like us to talk about or ideas you'd like to talk about, like, let us know because we, you know, this is a survey. This is our intense survey. (laughs) Let us know. Reach out. Yeah. This was great, man. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Until next time, V. Have a great day, man. You too. All right. Adieu. Ciao.